Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Most of us have very strong memories of life-changing events. My parents' generation could all tell you exactly where they were, who they were with, and what they were doing when they heard about the assassination of President J.F. Kennedy. For me, I can always remember where I was and what I was doing when the first news broke of the planes hitting the Twin Towers in New York. But life-altering events come in smaller, more personal sizes, none more so than the diagnosis of cancer. Not only the diagnosis of cancer in yourself, but of family, close relatives, and indeed friends. For many, many people, we will have had some intersection with what was a historically a dreaded diagnosis and word. While that dread remains inextricably linked thanks to poor prospects of survival, much has changed with our ability to manage and treat the disease. As the physician and oncologist Dr. Siddharth Mukherjee outlined in his excellent book, The Emperor of All Maladies, this journey is no longer quite as depressing or negative as it once was. Thanks to some amazing progress in the science and understanding that's translated into more practical ways of treating the disease, some forms of cancer patients see outright cures and in many others far better outcomes that include longer life post-diagnosis and it doesn't have to come with a high price of diminished quality of life. But this amazing progress in science came at a cost. A high cost for the research and progress from all the basic scientific bench work and the research that went before and this in part has contributed to some of the eye-watering costs at the bedside and impact the patient and their family as they attempt to navigate the complex multi-service care pathways. The cost of care and the drugs involved have risen far faster than inflation. To be clear, this was long before inflation exploded and was running more at a level of 2-4%, to sometimes lower. With the aging population, we're seeing an inevitable rise in cancer which affects older individuals more than younger, and with it, medical debt that is quickly reaching crippling and unsustainable levels. A problem that is screaming for solutions and answers. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Jessica Turgan. She's a principal at ECG in the Performance Transformation Practice and the Oncology Practice Lead. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Nick. How are you? I'm very well. So we're talking oncology and the challenge of uh, the treatment of patients. And one of the things that I think everybody understands at this point, well, maybe not everybody, but the majority of people and certainly anybody that touches cancer care is this exploding cost associated with 
many of the treatments. How are we going to combat this? Because at this point, people must look at this and say, I get cancer, it's unaffordable, what do I do? Well, it's something that lots of constituents across the cancer continuum are trying to address. Um, you know, the providers call it the financial toxicity, having, having, I have cancer, but I have this burden of financially trying to navigate the waters of, of my care. And, and, you know, from a patient's perspective, cancer care is complex. It's not something that one provider treats. It's something where I have to go and, you know, get diagnosed, get diagnosed. I've got to maybe go to a surgeon. I may have to go in the hospital. I then have to go and talk to a medical oncologist or a radiation oncologist. And so the complexity of the care model is also a part of the puzzle of how do patients navigate this? And so what you see are groups such as associations or industries, pieces of the industry coming together, trying to figure out how do we address some of these financial challenges? And then obviously cancer um, um, does, does have an impact on uh, the aging generation. And so the government has a significant stake in the financial um, implications of cancer care across the population. And so, as you know, a cancer center, typically the payer mix of a cancer center or a cancer practice is typically made up of about 50% of, of its patients are on Medicare. And so this is something that both government, the government and commercial payers are taking a look at to say, or what are, how do we manage the cost of care given given rising rising costs. So I, I, I want to highlight a couple of points. And, you know, we, we focus on the negative in, in many instances, but I think it's worth focusing just for a second on the positive. And, and you brought that out in your commentary, which is it's no longer one person. And for a long period in time, when we came to cancer care, you went and saw somebody and you ended up down a stream that was driven in part by this sort of narrow silos. And we've moved to a much more um, integrated approach that includes all of the elements of potential treatments, diagnosis, and that's made it more complex for patients who are now struggling with this, but also added to the cost. As you think back through that history, what were the major changes that sort of allowed us to get to that point? Well, let's let's keep on that positive track first. The the um, really the standard of care evolving to a multidisciplinary approach is the best thing for a patient. Being able to have great collaborations really uh, impacted by the advent of electronic medical records, digital health, being able to share information quickly between providers obviously had an impact on um, improving communication between providers and, and really um, keeping the patient informed of all of the different um, decisions or options available to them. So that's the very positive of it and that the teams are collaborating many across many uh, long distances, many um, in light of reaching patients uh, outside of, of just the area that the patient lives in to provide the best cancer care possible. So all very positive. However, as, as, as we've seen it, 
the specificity, the, 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 the technology, the scientific achievements in cancer care, while, have, while they have been vast and great, have also see, driven a rise in very specific therapies, very specific interventions based on the type of um, genes and genomic makeup that one has to fight his or her cancer. And so when you start talking about the specificity of interventions, obviously the research and the investments that go into that specificity are raising the cost of care across the board, whether it's a surgical invention with a robot, whether it is a new cancer treatment, new drugs, new um, um, that are able to really improve outcomes, or it's the newest technology available in radiation oncology, all that requires investment. And so we're looking at um, rising costs across the, across the continuum related to the overall care of, of cancer patients. Now tied to, again, the positives, cancer patients are, are in many cases, now we've seen a little bit of a hiccup with COVID, um, but many cases are getting diagnosed earlier. They're getting, you know, screening for cancer care has risen. Although we, again, we've seen some challenges through the, through the pandemic. Um, but as as folks are getting diagnosed, the nice thing is, you know, there have people are realizing that cancer care can be much more of a chronic disease. I'm living longer with cancer. That means I need more interventions. I have higher costs related to my healthcare costs than maybe we would have had 20 years ago. So I, I, some, some important points there. And I, I think, you know, exactly right. We've, we've moved to this, you know, holistic approach with multiple individuals, but that personalization um, has driven better outcomes. We're seeing, you know, vastly improved outcomes in cancer care. And it, it's not that far back in my medical training that, you know, that the term cancer came with an awful lot of baggage because of the negative outcomes that we've seen. We're seeing much improvement. But as you rightly define, we've sort of narrowed this down into this precision medicine to pick a sort of global term for that. And that comes with huge costs, potentially, down to a very narrow set of patients who derive benefit from all of this research. How do we approach this? What are the, the potential tools that can allow this to become no longer the acute broad brush approach, hey, you've got X, we're gonna treat you with this block of treatments that we know, to the more narrow, better outcomes, and as you rightly describe, chronic condition that we manage on an ongoing basis? Well, the first challenge is that the cost of cancer care, particularly related to some of those, some of the drugs um, that we've seen have risen, the cost of those drugs have risen faster than inflation, even adjusted over the last several years. And so one of the things, and it was just recently addressed in the Inflation Reduction Act signed by President Biden, is to take a look at and allow Medicare as the largest payer, government payer, um, to evaluate and negotiate prices for certain high cost drugs. Now that's across the entire spectrum of care cardiology, rheumatology, diabetes, and cancer, but that could be one area where the government is one of the one of as a payer is coming to the table to say, I have to be able to negotiate the pricing of drugs 
in certain areas. Now, um, um, under the new Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there are that would be an avenue to address some of the certain challenges, but not until 2026, where um, the government can negotiate certain Medicare Part D drugs. And so, so there is a opportunity for the government to take a look at some of these, the rising cost of care overall, and look at ways to intervene on behalf of beneficiaries um, to take a look at some of these drugs and negotiate pricing. The other thing the government has done in the Inflation Reduction Act is really is, is tried to um, eliminate, uh, first they're gonna eliminate um, the 5% coinsurance for Part D catastrophic coverage. And then the next year going to cap the out-of-pocket expenses related to Part D for, for certain drugs. And so that the cap in particular um, may uh, uh, limit exposure by Medicare beneficiaries to these changing economics, the higher price, the, the rising cost of drugs in particular related to their care, particularly um, um, certain cancer care drugs that are that that are through the Part D uh, uh, benefit. So I, absolutely great news. I think, um, you, you know, anybody in this space would uh, applaud that action. But I've got to push back and say, OK, great, we hit Medicare. And uh, as you outlined, 50 percent, so, you, you know, the majority payer, but that leaves another 50 percent of people hanging in the wind with these prices. Is there any potential that that impact in those drugs, albeit limited and, you know, there's a, 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 at the moment narrow band. We obviously want to see that, or at least I do want to see that expanded to expand that and influence the other group. Do you think we're going to see some impact in the other groups that are not covered by the regulation, but people are going to reference it, I would think? Um, yes, we're seeing uh, various commercial payers across the country try to enact policy change or contracting changes uh, that would um, try to manage this rising cost of drugs, in particular drugs, but also looking at, you know, the care overall. And so uh, obviously there, there are a lot of different ways that various payers across the country are addressing that, trying to seek value in cancer care, trying to understand what are the, what are the total economics of a episode of care? How do I think about um, um, outcomes and quality uh, related to the overall cost of care? Um, because let's face it, when one gets a cancer diagnosis, it is awfully personal. And it is something, as you, as you, as you noted in, in your remarks earlier, something that your family, your community sort of band around you say, how can we conquer cancer care? And so there is a, a sense of, you know, yes, we have this financial burden that we're placing on patients, families, the community, payers, et cetera, employers as well. I think what we're gonna see is a continued push across across the, this environment to say, how do we look at value and look at the expense side of cancer care in what are reasonable ways to try to align initiatives? Um, now, 
because it's a very personal disease. Um, and you're right, you know, my makeup, my genetic makeup may allow me for certain types of, of, of solutions and others may not be what I can, what I can reasonably achieve with my genetic makeup. It becomes a very personal discussion around what's open to me, what's available to me, depending on my financial situation. So I, I think all in all, you know, essentially good news, but there's another fly in the ointment here that you highlighted earlier on, which is the pandemic impact and the lack of screening, which intuitively I have to think will induce a bubble of increased cases potentially discovered later in the, the stage, which is always more expensive, worse for outcomes. So that feels to me like a huge amount of pressure to say, that's great, but this is not enough. What do we need to do? Um, this is a real life crisis right now. We are seeing it play out in the data. We're also seeing it play out in if you talk to an oncologist on the front line that's you know, dedicated his or her life to taking care of patients with this horrible disease, um, they're feeling the pressure of accepting new patients, making sure there's access, reaching out, maintaining, maintaining connections to those patients out there. I think um, the burden is being placed on hospitals and health systems across the country. There is that bolus of screening that's coming back on, but it is meaning it, 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 you're, we're seeing it in the data. We're seeing it in what it presents. People are diagnosed at a later stage. And so that is placing a burden across the healthcare providers that are already um, burdened with uh, a high demand for their services. As you know, uh, we have an oncologist shortage in the US. Uh, we have seen the workforce shortages from nurses, you know, support in the clinic, support uh, across uh, for navigators, social workers, et cetera folks have left the workforce over the course of the pandemic. And so there's a significant amount of pressure on these practices or cancer centers that are trying to care for these patients. And so um, it, it's what we're seeing is, you know, okay, how can technology assist in connecting people and connecting them to their providers? How can we use technology to screen, diagnose quickly, efficiently, um, not requiring re, 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 you know, additional scans, additional processing, more, um, um, uh, more diagnostic tests within the continuum of care. How can we improve uh, the diagnostic capabilities of a cancer program so that patients are provided their specific plan efficiently uh, and then they can start their treatment and then move forward. Um, and so I think there is a host of challenges operationally in sort of managing through the pandemic implications and then getting to a state where we have a much more integrated, digital, connected platform that is allow for that um, sharing and connectivity with patients. So 
I, as I pick up on that, it, it sounds to me like, you know, big crisis. And anytime I hear that, I say never let a good crisis go to waste. We have a, a, a perhaps once in a lifetime, I don't believe that, but for, for the time being, let's call it that once in a lifetime opportunity to really change the model. What are the opportunities for rethinking the way that we talk about cancer care, cancer payments, do you think? Well, um, one of the ways is that um, under the um, CMMI uh, uh, group with at CMS, um, they have recently come out with the enhanced oncology model that they are going to run uh, over the next several years, which is going to be an alternative payment model or a value-based payment model for oncology. And this is really targeted around um, seven uh, types of disease states in oncology, breast cancer, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, they're going to look at episodes of care and evaluate cost of care, performance, outcomes, um, quality, et cetera, uh, through this lens of, of of this total cost of care and the value of care provided. And so um, it really will be something that participate, that practices can participate in and then get a sense of how they benchmark from a quality perspective as well as a cost perspective to others, to a cohort around specific types of diseases within the cancer care environment. So um, we're looking, this is a brand new program um, that we're learning more about, but I think based on our experience with other value-based um, payment models on the commercial side or previous versions of the enhanced oncology model, I think this will be something that, you know, we'll watch closely and um, work with our cancer center uh, uh, teams to really understand what the impact could be. And there could be a very positive impact on that, on the use of resources, managing cancer care in an efficient way and really improving access so we get the patient the right type of treatment at the right time with the right provider um, and maybe to be able to take a little bit of waste out of the system. And I would add at the right price as we think about new payment models, um, you know, huge opportunity. But as I listen to this from a uh, oncology provider, you know, uh, cancer centers and others that are sort of looking at this space, it strikes me that this is something they need to get ahead of and, and adopt as early as possible in, in a, a concept that would essentially drive them to be ahead of the curve, right? It is. I think, um, I think all of us <laughs> across are trying to balance coming out of the pandemic and the urgency and the crisis nature, particularly with cancer patients that were immunocompromised and dealing with navigating um, um, the pandemic. And then again, managing the workforce and the, and the shortages of care providers across the country with all this emerging technology, with all of this emerging treatment opportunities and saying, well, how do we create these systems of care in the best way possible so that we can reach patients and really be able to, again, as you said, address the financial toxicity within the system and be able to maintain and improve upon quality and outcomes. So this is the work <laughs> ahead of many of the cancer leaders across the country. And I think what we're starting to see is, again, a 
understanding of the work that's ahead of everyone um, and then the mobilization of both community resources, healthcare resources, government resources, et cetera, to try to say, okay, what are the ways that we can manage this together? Jessica, thanks very much for joining me on the show. Thanks, Dr. Nick, it's a pleasure. As you heard, some good news to be found in the recent legislation passed, the Inflation Reduction Act, which included a new opportunity for the US government, the largest payer of healthcare costs, to negotiate drug prices. The selection of drugs is limited and thanks to intensive lobbying by special interest is only for Medicare. For those of you who remember the iconic Joe Strummer and the clash, as he put it, this is not enough. Meanwhile, cancer treatment centers are struggling with staffing and resources, and we can fully expect to see an increase in cancer cases, many of which will be later staged thanks to pandemic pause on screening activities. Your better pill to swallow? is to focus on the new enhanced payment oncology models that address full episodes of care. While this is future thinking, as we've seen in prior instances of value-based care initiatives, it is those who are ahead of the curve, who work to understand and engage with the new thinking and adapt quickly, that will not just survive, but thrive in the future healthcare state. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag HC upside down. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.